Good morning, Connection Point Church. I'm so excited to be worshiping with you again. I've got a great message I'm excited about. Um, I'm most, I, I love seeing y'all on our new online campus. This is a big deal over the next month. We are going to be transitioning off of Facebook onto this. It just gives us so many more opportunities to minister to you, to reach out, and to care for our people. And so that's what we're trying to do. Uh, and it's good to see. I see Chase online. I see Teresa online. I see Cindy online. I see Wendy online. It's good for y'all to be on here. All the rest of y'all remember we are going to give away a pizza at the end of this if you comment and we want you to be participating with us. And so uh, I'm so excited that you're here. It is a great message today. We're going to be continuing our series called Training Days. And I was so excited about this series that I made some sermon notes. And so I just want to let you know these are here. You don't have to go to them during the message, but I do want you to know that they're here. If you go to connectionpoint.life, you go to sermons, and then you click on sermon notes. And notice I capitalized the end. Of course, that was intentional because I want to make sure that we highlight the fact that I've got so many resources. I was so excited about this. I knew I was going to go long. So I preached the last 10 minutes of this message online so that I wouldn't have to do it right now. So it would shorten this message. That's how passionate I am about what we're doing today because it is a, it's an important topic to me. Today, we're going to be talking about what I think is the most important training day that you need to be preparing for as a Christian. You see, this idea of, of a training day, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of that quote from, uh, from Maverick in Top Gun, if you think you're dead. Or maybe uh, you've heard uh, a quote that's attributed to Mike Tyson. He says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I think that's a lot how life is. You know, all of us, we, we think we're prepared. Some of us know we're not prepared. And so we have this fear of the future. We have the fear of what's coming our way. But if you've ever been in an opportunity where something comes your way and you're fully prepared for it, you have no fear. You know what? It's not enough to train at the day, on the day. It's not enough to have a plan for the day. It's not enough to be prepared just, just thinking about it on that day. You have to be preparing every day up to it. And if you don't, if you're not training right now, you're going to live a life fearing the future, worrying about what's going to happen. And when you get punched in the mouth, you're going to forget what you wanted to happen. So today we're preparing for a big day. And that day is the day that every Christian should look forward to, but yet most of us fear it. That is the day we lead someone to the Lord. You know, as we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, we, we've hit a lot of different topics, a lot of days that are coming up that we need to be prepared for. But there's no bigger day, I think, for, for a Christ follower than the day you have the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus and to show them how radically Christ can change our life. But here's the, here's the truth. I've been on many mission trips. I've been on many uh, occasions where I've seen somebody have an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus, but yet fear gripped them because they weren't prepared. Today, we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, 15, which this verse is so powerful to me. It says this. It says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Now this word that we have here, this word defense, that, that is a, a, a special word. In Greek, it is apologia. Now 
if, you're, if you've followed Christ, you might have heard somebody say apologetics. Do you, have a, do you know about apologetics? And it comes from this word defense. And, and when we say apologetics, all we're referring to is in 1 Peter 3.15, Peter tells us that we need to have a verbal defense. That's what that word means. You need to be able to, to tell people why you have hope. Yet time and time again, I will see Christians that fear the opportunity because they don't know what would I say? What would I say? I don't know what I would say if somebody were to ask me about why I follow Jesus. And so today, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you three tools that you can have, actually you already have to win the day. Three tools that you already have in your tool belt for when the day comes in which somebody asks you, hey, why do you, why do you have such hope? Why are you like that? And you're going to be prepared to tell them how Jesus has changed your life. You're going to be prepared to show them how they too can follow Jesus and have their life changed. And that day, there is no day like that when you have the opportunity to tell somebody how Jesus has changed your life. And you see them follow Jesus. And you know that, that you are now brothers and sisters in Christ. And for the rest of eternity, y'all are going to have this hope in the Lord. And so let's look at these three Tools. The first tool that I want to talk about is your heart. The first tool is your heart. Now, and uh, in this verse it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord. And I think it's very important that when we talk about leading someone to the Lord, when we talk about the day in which somebody asks you about the hope that you have, it doesn't start, Peter doesn't start by saying, well, you need to know everything about the Bible. You need to know everything about uh, theology. Instead, he says, listen, in your hearts, you need to be honoring Christ. Our first apologetic, our first tool is having a heart that is aligned with Christ. You know, the early uh, Christ followers, uh, the early church they had, uh, it was kind of an unusual time. When we talk about the early church, we're talking about immediately after Jesus rose from the dead and, and he ascended into heaven. And there was just this powerful movement of people following Jesus. Thousands of people had converted because they, they knew that something had happened. And so they were trying to organize and sometimes it was just raw. And there was a lot of misunderstanding in the, in the Roman Empire. And in fact, there were four things that we know Christ followers, early Christians, were accused of by the average Roman citizen. The first thing they were accused of is they were accused of being atheist. That's kind of a weird thing for a Christian to be accused of as an atheist. But if you think about it, it makes sense because in the, the Roman pantheon, there were a lot of gods. And so a Christian would walk around and you had the opportunity to pray to this God or to, to ask a favor from this God. And a Christ follower wouldn't do that. And so Romans who would see Christians would wonder, why do they not honor the gods? They didn't understand that Christians followed the real God, another God, Yahweh, but, and so they weren't recognizing these. They just saw that, hey, they don't seem to love the gods. They don't love gods. They must be atheists. They must be God haters. Not only did the early church say or get, get accused of being God haters, they also got accused of just being haters of humanity. They were accused of being haters of humanity. Now, that's kind of a weird one, too, because they were nice people. But what, what would happen is 
you would have these statues to different gods, Roman gods, and a Roman citizen would go to that god and would put an offering down or, or some money down or tip them, and they would do that so that they could have favor. And by doing this, it would bring you good luck. And so if you wanted your business to have good luck, if you wanted the nation to have good luck, you would tip these gods. And Christians wouldn't do that. And so Roman citizens and just average people would say, man, those Christians, they just hate humans. They don't want us to have any luck. And so they were accused of, of being God haters, of being human haters, of haters of humanity. They were also accused of, of some weird things. They were accused of being incestuous. Now you can kind of see how this would happen. They would, uh, if you're an average Roman dude and you go to uh, your friend's wedding and he's a Christian and he marries this, this beautiful bride and then later on he, he introduces it, hey, this is my, my sister in Christ. Well, they would say, that's weird. I thought that was your wife. And so they would get confused by the language sometime. And, and by getting confused, it would have these accusations of, man, they're kind of in session. Those Christians, they're, they're weird. And then probably the, the most obscure is they would be accused of being cannibals. They would actually be accused of eating human flesh because you can imagine if you're walking by a, a house that is a, is a house church and somebody's having a church service in there, what are they doing in there? I don't know, but I walked walk by and I heard through the window somebody said, hey, this is my body. <laughs> eat this. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And they're eating the flesh. They're drinking blood in there. And there was a lot of confusion around communion when you would hear about it from second or third hand. And so the early church had to deal with all these accusations, all these misunderstandings. But what's interesting is there are letters from the, the local governors to the emperors and to the, 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 the larger leaders trying to figure out, man, Christianity is growing. Why is it growing? Man, their heart are for the poor. They would serve the poor so radically that no one could, could really dispute it. You know, later on, there would be some plagues that would come in, some pandemics and the Christians were the ones that would go into the pandemics, when, into the plagues, when everyone else was fleeing. Their love, their heart was so distinct that people would flock to them. You see, here's what I want you to see. Your heart sets you apart. And the truth is, some of you will never have to worry about telling people about Jesus because no one's ever going to ask you or be willing to listen if we're not aligned with Christ in our heart. You know, I have a funny story that kind of about this. This is a picture of me and John Williams, one of our elders here. We went to uh, the Holy Land uh, a couple of years ago. And what was exciting about this picture is this is at Petra, one of the coolest places on earth. But John and I are alone in this picture because we had a falling out with our guide earlier in this, uh, in this day. Our, our guide was a unique guy. He's a really cool, he was great. He was so knowledgeable. He had things I've never heard of. But yet on the beginning of this day, for some reason we got in his crosshairs and he said some things to us that made us mad. And we ended up not hearing a word he said about this beautiful place, all the history this guy knew, we didn't get an ounce of it because his, his heart towards us that day for some reason got crossed and, and we missed out on a lot and he missed out on the opportunity to tell us what he knew, all because his heart wasn't right. People will never hear your words if you don't start with your heart. You know, we can't even get to verse 15 that tells us to honor Christ if we don't go through verses 
8 through 12, really 8 through 14. It says, finally, all of you, and I want to make sure that we're clear here. Who's it talking about? It's talking about all of us, okay? Every person on here who follows Christ, this is our apologetic. It starts here, all of us. It says, start with a unity of mind. Unity, not division, unity. You know, I'll be honest, I, I get very discouraged with Christians right now because some of us are known right now more for what we're against than what we're for. And it just breaks my heart because we are called to be people of unity. We should be unified under Christ, but yet some of us right now want to be known for, hey, this is what I'm against. I'm against the president. I'm against this political party. I'm against the NBA for doing this. Uh, and we're, we're so vocal about what we're against, but I don't see enough of us who are just radically, radically vocal about what we are for, and that is unity in Christ, our Savior. It starts with our heart, and this is what Peter says, he says, have unity of mind. Be known for your sympathy, for brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Don't assume you know everything. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. And look what he says, for this you were called. The calling of a Christian is not to get on social media and tell everything that, that you're against. Instead, it's that every person would be blessed by you. Every person should look at a Christ follower and say, man, every time they're around, I'm just blessed. I remember a time where I actually, I did something wrong. I, I, I was talking kind of negative about another pastor, and this was a few years ago, and, and I've repented of this, but there was a pastor. I just thought he was kind of arrogant. He kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and I remember talking to a guy about this pastor, and that, that guy listened to me, and then he said, listen, that may be true, but all I know is on my worst day, that guy stopped everything and he prayed with me and he followed with and he walked with me. What you're saying may be true, but all I know is he was there for me. You see, that pastor's heart was right. And so it didn't matter if he had an error. It didn't matter because his heart was right. That my friend was willing to follow. You see, our apologetics start with our heart. The truth is this, that the greatest defense of your faith is your heart, not your words. If you want to lead someone to Jesus and you're like, I never had the opportunity, I would tell you, start with living a life that is a blessing to all. Start with waking up in the day instead of looking at the news on what am I going to be angry about today? Hey, how am I going to show people how good God is? I'll tell you, I look at this world, and I know it's a crazy time in the pandemic, but it is not the worst time in the world. We have more opportunity to set ourselves apart for Christ than ever before. Look what Peter goes on to say. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, that's me. Anybody want to love life? Do you want to see good days? He gives us a recipe. He says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Before you think about speaking words of Christ, he says, the first thing you got to do is you got to tie your tongue. You got to stop talking words of deceit, words of division, things that bring people down. You've got to have that hope mindset. Your greatest apologetic is your heart. 
Let us do good. Determine him away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. He goes on to say, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. That's what I want. I want God to hear my prayers. I want people to see, man, he seems to be righteous. God hears his prayers, but the face of evil is against those who do evil. So let's go back. When we think about this this idea of our apologetics, and he tells us that we are going to honor Christ. He says, hey, however you defend it with your words, you want to do it with gentleness and respect. We want to make sure our hearts are representing Christ before we ever worry about the day that what am I going to say if somebody were to ask me about the, the Bible or what if they ask me a question I don't know. I will tell you, if they know your heart is following Jesus, you're gonna, they're going to listen to you in a different way. The second thing that you already have is you have your story. You know, this is something that I think is often neglected, but look what, uh, look what Peter says right here. He says, always be, at, um, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Peter doesn't say you have to be able to defend the whole Bible if you want to talk about Jesus. He doesn't say, listen, before you ever go in into a conversation about Jesus, you need to make sure that you know every single thing that person might ask you. Instead, he says, you need to be able to tell about the hope that is in you. You're not called to defend every question that that person may have. You simply have to start with what Jesus has done for you. You know, we train this over and over again when we go on mission trips. We train uh, to tell people how to tell your story. And you know, for me, I, I look at uh, the New Testament, and almost every time you have somebody that tells uh, about Jesus, they'll start with, listen, he changed my life. Paul does this in Acts 9 and Acts 26. Every time before he tells you about the Bible, how the Bible talks about Jesus or whatever, he starts with, he changed my life. You see, no one, no one can argue with your story. No one, you're an expert at your story. I don't know what I would say. You're an expert at your story. I can't tell you how many times I'll, I'll talk to somebody and I find out they're going through depression. And I'll say, you know what? There's a time in my life where I, I, I just would fall to my depression all the time. And then one day I had somebody tell me about Jesus and I began to struggle and I began to look to hope. And even though I was still going through that depression, it didn't just instantly cure me. I began to look for hope and I began to see Jesus give me hope every day. And I, I, and I eventually gave my life to the Lord. And after many years, I actually found victory from depression. Jesus changed my life. You know, I used to, uh, some, some people will talk to me about the guilt they have. And I'll tell them, listen, there was a time in my life when I was, I was young and I just tried to achieve. I wanted people to know I was good. I wanted people to know I, I was somebody. And so I would try to achieve everything. I wanted my parents to think I was good. I wanted my teachers to think I was, I wanted to achieve and them to say, man, look what he's done. But I could never live up to it. And then I had, and I had my, my fifth grade Sunday school teacher, Bob Reed. I had him tell me about Jesus. And he said, listen, if you, if you follow Jesus, you're a son of God. You don't have to achieve anything. And he will love you like a father loves a son. And so I did that. And after I did that, you know what? I, now I, I live with no guilt in my life. Now, I still sin, I still fall short every day, but instead I have this love of a father to a son, and it is such a great thing to have, and I want you to have that. You see, my story really is my uh, most powerful uh, gateway into any conversation. 
If you really want to want, I just never seem to have conversations about Christ. You can see a progression here, man. If, you're, if your heart is right and you're living for the Lord and you're telling people, let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. You're going to see that those opportunities, you'll get to verse 15 if you can live through 8 through 14. Those verses about, I'm going to live it and I'm going to tell my story. Now, some of you have been on mission trips and you've had this opportunity. You know, I remember uh, the first time I went on a mission trip to Peru and I remember, I don't know what to say. I'd been through the training. I'd gone through the training days, but then I I didn't know what to say. I I forgot what to say. And and I was with one of our our members and they just said, hey, just tell me your story. And I told him my story and I was kind of making it up, trying to remember how I'd written it out. Every single Christ follower should write out your story. And it just goes like this. You tell what your life used to be like. Then you just say, listen, and then someone told me, whoever told you about Jesus, someone told me about Jesus. And so I did that. I trusted Jesus. And now my life, and just tell them how your life is different. Every Christ follower should be able to do that. Because if you do that, you'll find that that day will come more often. Those opportunities will come more often. Now, the last thing I want you to see, the last tool you have is your mind. And this is where we get scary because let's be honest, that's where if any part of this is hard, it's, man, I don't know if my mind is right. So I want to give you three questions. And these are just three questions I made up that I think every Christ follower should be able to answer. Every Christ follower should be able to at least have thought through these three questions. The first question is, why do you believe in God? The second question is, why do you trust the Bible? And the third one is, why do you believe Jesus is divine? The son of God. Why do you think Jesus is sitting on the throne on high? But these are, there's kind of a progression. And, uh, and I'm just going to go through some of my ideas about why, because I've thought through a lot of these. And yours may be different than mine. I've read a lot of books. In fact, you can find a lot of resources on my sermon notes later on. Uh, One of the books that really has informed me about some of these is Mere Christianity. I read that when I was 19, and it absolutely changed my life. Uh, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He was an atheist who investigated and became a Christ follower after investigating. Josh McDowell. Anything by Josh McDowell is great. Also, uh, The Reason for God by Tim Keller. That's one of my my favorites that's that's informed me a lot. So why do you believe in God? Let's look at that. Why do you believe in God? For me, I've got a lot of reasons. I've preached on this. Last year, I preached on a series called Divine Clues. You can go watch that. It's actually on the sermon notes too. And for me, I I, I think about it two ways. Uh, When I was younger, I, I would look to scientific reasons about why I believe in God. And I would look primarily at things like creation. I would look at the fine-tuning of the universe. You know, Francis Collins, who was the the head of the Human Genome Project, he's a biologist, he said, you know what, when we look at this universe, it looked like it knew we were coming. In other words, it just seems to be fine-tuned, just ready for us. I think about books that I've read by non-followers of Christ. This is an atheist, Richard Dawkins, probably the most uh, famous atheist. He wrote a, a book called The Blind Watchmaker. He said this quote. He said, biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of being designed. And then he writes the whole book about how even though they look designed, they're not designed. And he'll go back to that. You have to remember it's not designed. Francis Crick, who uh, discovered uh, DNA, um, the DNA helix form, he said this. He said, the origins of life appear to be almost a miracle. And then in his book, he spends the whole book telling you how it's not a miracle, though. 
In fact, to his students, he, he once said, listen, we have to constantly remind ourselves that even though it looks designed, it's not designed. And so for me, I just began as I studied science, I said, you know, there's a lot of things that if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, eventually, maybe we just say, maybe the reason it looks designed is because there's a designer. Maybe the reason it looks created is because there's a creator. So science is one of the things that I've really looked at. Another thing, though, that to me has become more compelling lately is just some of the philosophical ideas about life. Because here's the thing about science. You'll get a lot of people who will say, I just can't believe in God unless I see evidence. But then you look at how they're living, and they're already living as if God exists. And what I mean by this is that there are so many ways philosophically we live our lives that show us they really believe there's more to life than just this life, okay? For example, right and wrong. Somebody may say, I don't believe in God, but yet if they're living as if there's an absolute right and wrong, it's always right and wrong, eventually they're going to have to come to the idea that there is an absolute lawgiver who sets these absolute laws in place. In fact, Sam Harris, who is, uh, um, he's an atheist as well. He's a, kind of a philosopher in neuroscience as well. And he said, he was once asked, hey, how can we talk about whether or not somebody is uh, following, uh, how, how can we talk about morality without God? And his only answer was, we're working on it. In other words, we can't really figure out morality without God. Another thing that uh, I think about is love. You know, if, you, if there's no God, then love is just chemical reactions going on between us. But I've never found one person who lives that way. I've never found one person who, who loses a loved one or sees their child um, in pain and says, you know what, it's, it's just chemical reactions. I've never seen somebody who, who, who believes that their relationships, everything they hold dear, is just a bunch of chemical reactions, atoms bouncing off things. Instead, every single person you know lives as if love is more than just chemical reactions, as if it's something that's instilled from us above. For me, another one is beauty. You know, I, I look around, it didn't have to be this way. Why are there so many colors in the sky? It's blue all day. And then for some reason, for 10 minutes in the morning and night, it changes to pink, yellow, everything you can think of. And it just becomes a, a, a portrait. And if it's so beautiful, it just points to an artist behind it. Why is there so much beauty in this world? Why are there so many colors when there doesn't have to be? I look at beauty everywhere and I say, it just seems like there's an artist behind this. The, the last one for me that I'll give you is purpose. You know, I, uh, uh, several years ago, there was a, a man who did an evil act. He, he took a child and he was at a mall. He took a child and he threw him off that, the second story balcony. And, and that child actually survived. In fact, he survived. Uh, his whole church prayed over him. And that, that, that child actually uh, survived and had no ill effects of being thrown off. But what's interesting is that they asked the guy, why would you do this? Why would you do this? And you know what he said? He said, I woke up this morning. And he said, I just felt as if there was a purpose in my life to kill someone that day. We hear something like that, and you and I both look at that man and say, you know what, that's not right. That was not really your purpose, because we understand we don't get to choose our own purpose. Purpose is something that is given to us from somewhere else. And so everyone who lives their life lives their life as if they have been given a purpose. In fact, we even use our language, I need to find my purpose. I want to discover my purpose. We never say, you know what, I just got to choose my purpose. You see, the fact that we live lives of purpose 
point to a creator, a designer, somebody who put this purpose and said, I want you to live for this. Now, I encourage you, take some time, read some books as a Christ follower and try to figure out, why do I believe in God? Now, the next question, why do you trust the Bible? This question kind of comes to me. Uh, there are a lot of ways to go about this. I preached a message, uh, or a series earlier, or um, it was about a year ago. It was called, uh, What Had Happened Was. I encourage you to go watch that. But I encourage every single person to think, why do I trust the Bible? How could I articulate why the Bible, why I believe the Bible is the word of God? You know, for me, it just makes sense that if God created us for a purpose, if he wants to, he gave us personalities, he must be personable. He, he, he lets us communicate. He must want to communicate. How would, how would God communicate with us? He would probably communicate through his creation, his design, but he would also probably do some mass media, some marketing. He would probably write a book. It makes sense to me. And so that series, what had happened was, that's all about how we got the Bible. I think every Christ follower should be familiar with how we got the Bible and what it is. The last question that you need to, is why do you believe Jesus is divine? Why do you believe Jesus is God? There's a lot of ways. I know it's easy to say the Bible said so, and, and that's, that's not a wrong answer, but I'll tell you from me, I, I point to the resurrection. Why do I believe? It's because Jesus wrote, there was a man who predicted his death, and then he rose from the grave. And history, I'll tell you, there, there's a, a message, I think it was uh, week four of uh, Divine Clues. You can find that in the sermon notes. Week four, I gave you three facts or four facts that every his historian, even the non-Christian ones, even the, the non-theological uh, ones will say, we can, we can know this about God or we can know this about the life of Jesus. We know that he existed. We know that he died on the cross. And we know that all of his followers claimed three days after that he rose from the dead. We also know things that his brother, who did not believe while he was alive, yet his brother, James, changed his mind after Jesus died. He made the decision, you know what? I think he was God. Now you think about what would it take for you to change your mind after somebody had died and say, you know what? They really were. They really were divine. They really were God. Obviously, something happened to me. The resurrection is the reason. So as you think about this, I want you to just encourage you. Listen, if you live a life, if you live a life honoring God and you tell, this is how Jesus changed my life, you're going to have an opportunity someday to tell, to give a reason for the hope that you have. And then I hope you put in some time, some study. Today would be a great day. You know, I'm going to go buy a book, The Reason for God by Tim Keller. That's one of my favorites right now. I love that book. And I'm going to encourage you. Hey, you start with your heart. Learn to tell your story. And then you need to know a little bit with your mind, why do I believe? Let's end it with this. I want to read 1 Peter 3, 18. This is why it's important. Because Peter tells us, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but alive in the spirit. Jesus changed our life, and he reconciled us with God. And it's up to us to help others do the same. Let's pray, Connection Point Church. Lord, I, I love you so much. I thank you so much for changing my life. I thank you so much for everyone who's watching this, whose lives have been radically transformed. But Lord, let us no longer sit during this chaos of this time. 
and just be okay with, you know what, at least, at least I've been, been touched by God. At least my life has been changed. While we're watching people go through division and pain and uncertainty, Lord, let us give them the hope we have. Let, us, let, us, let them see in us, man, those people are living differently at Connection Point Church. They seem to be living for something much bigger than, than what I'm living for. Lord, let them see our hearts. And then, Lord, when we have the opportunity, let us be bold to tell our story. Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. Lord, I pray that somebody right now is going to have the opportunity this week, somebody that's listening right now or watching right now is going to have an opportunity this week to tell their story. Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. Lord, I pray that those conversations will quickly go into deeper theological conversations. And we may have to sometimes just say, you know what, I don't know the answer to this. All I know is he changed my life. But Lord, I pray as we grow in our faith, as we put in the time, Lord, I pray that our minds will catch up and we'll be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. Lord, you are a reasonable God. You are, are truly our Savior. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.